This is IT Visionaries, your number one source for actionable insights and exclusive interviews with CIOs, CTOs, and CISOs, and many more. I'm your host, Albert Chow, a former CIO, former sales VP, and now podcast host. Discover Zayo's expansive network maps on their website and see where their network can take you. With low latency, reliable 400 gig and 800 gig enabled routes, it's the modern network solution you've been searching for. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of IT Visionaries. And today we have a special guest. His name is Vishal Salvi, and he is the CISO and head of cyber practice at a little company we call Infosys. Vishal, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Albert. Thanks for having me here. Hey, listen, we're fired up to have you here because you have a unique seat in that you see some of, well, you see probably oversee more projects than just about any other company could ever say that they are a part of. For those who are not familiar, I'm going to have Michelle explain what Infosys is. But before I pass it to him, I want you to recognize that if you go to the Infosys.com and check out their investor relations paperwork, this is a services company. And they did $18 billion in service revenue last year. So this is how many projects they are building around the world for different customers. Michelle, if you could tell us what is Infosys and what do you guys do? Hey, Albert, you just mentioned it, right? It's a, it's a very large uh, IT services organization. We, we help uh, our customers globally to in their digital journeys, uh, digital transformation, uh, technology stack modernization, cloud transformation, uh, we've been in the in the industry for more than four decades now, uh, and have fundamentally focused on really building uh, deep uh, understanding and skills on what's happening in the tech world. And in a way, from an Indian uh, context, you know, we are one of the early startups, you know, and and now of <laughs> course we have become very large and uh, more than three hundred and fifty thousand uh, employees uh, spread across more than fifty countries executing various projects for a large uh, Fortune 500 organizations uh, on various aspects of their technology and digital transformation. Yeah. And for those who are listening to that and trying to get to, to try to get like a mental framework of what it is Infosys is a part of, you know, if I just I'm just reading off their website, for example, like they're involved in governments, they're involved in f- like for example, it lists Pfizer's journey towards increased productivity, powered AI. So you're talking about huge companies with huge projects asking Infosys for its help in building or advancing these technologies. Michelle, give us an idea of why do you think customers and clients, when they cho- when they have these huge projects, why are they choosing Infosys? Well, I think it's it's a it's a thought and the philosophy that you know we believe in, right? In terms of really focusing on the core technologies which have been there, and you know making sure that we have the right talent to deliver that. Secondly, in terms of making sure that uh, we are able to create universities and uh, in our create creating ecosystem for our talent to really be cutting edge in terms of what we need to deliver for our customers really understanding the problems of our customers very empathetically and deeply and you know coming out with innovation and solutions we invest a lot in terms of innovation and uh, research and development in the space of technology uh, we have just started uh, a significant amount of investment in ai uh, and you know basically given a, a booster to our current uh, you know live enterprise initiative with everything uh, done through AI lens so that we are able to always constantly look at how technology can 
really become relevant for you know for the businesses and help them to grow you know and help them to change and transform yeah and these projects are going to be huge and then what i wanted to start talking about and get into is your domain of expertise because the way the modern, you know, there was a period of time when people thought everything was just going to move to cloud, uh, that everything is going to be cloud native. There was going to be a, that was the the guest, right? So that didn't really happen where people certainly are using a lot of cloud services, but there is no, I'm fully cloud only, uh, especially in these big organizations. And what we're also seeing now is the rise of all these services and also the ability to flow data from data center to cloud to microservice to whatever is needed now or best of breed to do whatever the customer wants to do. So now effectively, we always know that every time you open up an endpoint, you open up potentially a vulnerability, right? That's, that's a factoid. Like if you have, if you're going to move data from A to B to C to D to just to use for one application, which we know it's happening right now, you're opening up endpoints, which means you're opening up vulnerabilities Give us an idea with the projects you're in. Give us an idea of how many endpoints are going to be the part of the data flow before it ever gets to like from data to customer. And then the bigger question I want to ask you is how how do you guys go protecting it? But first, let's start with give us a size and scope of how big these projects are. Like when you have some of these customers, give us an idea of some like the bigger projects you've overseen. Yeah. So basically, think of it like, you know, all those 350,000 employees are really working with our customers. And they're working in their data centers, in their cloud environments, and trying to really, you know, help them navigate their next, right? And uh, what is required is to make sure that when our customers are entrusting their processes and their businesses uh, with our employees and with Infosys, it's extremely critical for us to make sure that we are able to manage the cybersecurity risk and the privacy risk related to those data processes. And and we take that responsibility extremely seriously. So when it comes to the complexity, you're talking about 50 countries, you're talking about more than 2,500 large customers, you're talking about thousands and thousands of projects. And and we we have to make sure that at that scale, we are able to deliver a high quality of cybersecurity work uh, you know, for those customers, apart from, of course, making sure that those functionalities are delivered. So, so we would we would talk about you know more than four hundred to four hundred fifty thousand uh, endpoints, and <laughs> you know, and, and and you know, all of these are obviously in today's complex world interconnected, right? They need to yeah. interoperate. They need to talk to each other. They need to have access to information when they need it, and at the same time, we need to make sure that it is done securely. So that's the complexity. But, you know, while I'm trying to sort of paint the picture of complexity, you know, we have have a very uh, purposeful and very deliberate approach towards, you know, how we deal with cybersecurity strategy and its implementation within Infosys. Uh, We've been therefore having a clear strategy in terms of how we define the policy, how we govern the overall cybersecurity framework, and then how do we really design and then enforce the, the cybersecurity architecture, right? And so in a way, in a way, I think we 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 do have a good grip and a control over all of these things because we have all these three attributes in place uh, to be able to deliver what our customers are looking for. So give us an idea of what like um what are the most important things that you have to focus on, or is you know, and please don't say 
uh, everything's important. But I'm curious because I'm curious because how do you start? Well, you have, you're overseeing 450,000 interconnected endpoints and in across these projects. It's pretty insane to think about. You know, there's people talk about prem security. They talk about access ID security. They talk about network security. There's all these different levels of security. But then we also, there was a period of time when people were just talking about, hey, there's just going to be a zero trust way. Like everything needs to be authenticated, re-authenticated. Like that's, this, that's what, what's going to happen to data. All data is going to be encrypted. No one's going to trust anything. And then when it gets to an endpoint, you'll do a check. And then that was a hypothesis. But of course, some people felt like that would slow the process down of data flow, which would, of course, uh, slow down the responsiveness or the customer experience of a, a, an application, let's say. When you think about all these techniques of cybersecurity, give us an idea. What do you what do you think comp- companies need to prioritize first to, to kind of give us a hint at like where should they begin to really focus? So Albert, you know, there are at least five different dimensions to this question, but I'll try to focus yeah. on what I can. <laughs> See, I think the first thing you need to understand is that any person you ask today about the importance of cybersecurity, everybody will say it's a very important topic, right? I sure. think I think that is definite and that's a given i think what organizations find it difficult is how do they translate that statement into something which is which they're able to execute and that's where that's where there's a huge gap right yeah because i was thinking like the reason why i want you to rank them is because inevitably there's a budget right like i'm going to invest in cybersecurity. okay here's my bucket of money yeah like how do i spend this bucket where do i start <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I understand, you know, because I think there is an issue of prioritization. Uh, there is an issue of trade-off. And there is also an issue of limited budgets, right? All the three things are equally important. Uh, but if you talk about in terms of prioritization, I think, uh, see, fundamentally, cybersecurity is a risk management topic, okay? And when you talk about risk management, if you have a risk management framework, which helps you to identify risk, it helps you to manage the whole life cycle of the risk from, from the time of identification analysis to the treatment that you want to carry out for the risk. And if you do it in a very technical and a systematic manner, you would be able to identify which are the areas that you want to invest in and which are the areas where you would want to accept or transfer the risks, right? I mean, risk transfer is all about cyber insurance. Risk acceptance is all about risk decisions that you take through your management governance and risk remediation is what you do in terms of execution, right? So in a large complex organization with multiple stakeholders, sometimes it can become difficult to come to a consensus view in terms of, you know, what is the right thing to do, but that's really why we exist as CISOs to make sure that we are able to champion and drive that cause and give a clear direction to the organization in terms of what needs to be done. So that's number one, right? Mm-hmm. It's also important that you realize that you, you, no matter how much you want to invest, you will always have limited budgets, right? And and right. security is not about you know investing everything and putting everything. Even even if, for example, you have lots of money, you will not have that much of bandwidth and people to be able to come and execute those projects for you. So you therefore need to really calibrate <laughs> and pick up your battles and make sure that you are razor sharp and razor focused on driving it. But, you know, one of the things I always say is that security is all about getting better, better every single day from where you are yesterday. You're not competing with anybody else. You're competing with yourself, right? And you're getting all you need can do, all you need to do and all you can do is constantly get better every single day so that over a period of time, when 
you are under attack or there is an a breach uh, attempt breach on your network you are ready to face it because you've been at it on a constant basis right so it's a, it's a thankless job it's it's sometimes extremely boring job but it needs <laughs> to be done it needs to be done to be able to you know sustain yourself and and so long as you do that you are good you know you you should be able to you know manage majority of the threats that happen in today's organization yeah how do you approach your conversations with let's say cu- customers that you mentioned before there's a massive push towards ai we already know that like that's that's a huge huge battleground let's say that everyone wants to hopefully win or you know that i don't know how to best describe but we know what we know of ai is that in order for ai to be effective it needs a massive data pool data pool right like it's it doesn't learn from nothing. If it has no data to learn from, it's actually stupid. Uh, it's actually how much data you have. And so the other thing that's happening is on the consumer side, which people are blown away by ChatGPT and so on, is how fast it is. So speed of moving this data is now a priority. Are you seeing these things in conflict uh, with security and speed? Because we know that for every company that wants to, let's say, so for example, let's say I'm a financial services company. Well, I have all my data needs to be so secure uh, for someone to get, let's say, a good forecast on how they should spend their budgets. Okay. So if we're going to put an AI later to that, I'm going to secure my data wherever I secure it. I got my backups. I got my recoveries, but I now need to move it into this model like super fast too. Do you see headbutting or uh, let's say diverging interests occurring with security and speed? Because because customers don't want to wait. You already know that. <laughs> yeah, there's there's always a headbutting, if you want to call it that way, because when we talk about the adoption of internet, we talked about adoption of big data, we talked about adoption of cloud, everywhere there have been headbutting, right? And and, and, <laughs> and, and that's always because every new innovation, every new technology goes through that phase before it stabilizes and comes to a resonance or equilibrium, right? Now, we know that there are countries which are banning ChatGPT. We know there are wow. financial organizations who do not allow access to ChatGPT for their employees, and and the reason is because you know we are grappling with you know trying to really understand how do we deal with this new technology, right? Because mm. if you, for example, put a client code onto ChatGPT, you know you you can end up compromising uh, confidentiality of your client, uh, you know, interest. And so you need to be extremely careful in terms of how you manage that. At the same time, the innovation is extremely important and um, there are extremely powerful use cases that we are seeing in terms of how OpenAI, ChatGPT is going to change the, the future of how we use tech and, and we, we need to embrace that. I think what I've seen in past is a good indication of what will happen in case of ChatGPT as well as what will happen in future as well where there will always be this sort of friction. Uh, and I would say it's a positive friction where you sort of go through the change because you don't want the technology to go at a pace where you introduce a significant amount of risk to your organization, which becomes yeah. which becomes a problem later on. At the same time, you don't want to curtail it so much that it just you know defeats the whole purpose of innovation. And, and so therefore, that's what I meant by balance or equilibrium, right? This push and pull will continue to happen before we would stabilize in terms of, we'll, we'll put safeguards, we'll put controls, and we'll learn from these uh, issues and risks and then come out with more stable stability and more clarity in terms of how we do that. So 
I guess that's the phase we are going through as far as this is concerned. I don't see that as an issue at all. It is something we will have to deal with. So given that, you know, that you mentioned that natural friction, right? Because it's like you said, you don't want to, you want to take advantage of whatever, you know, the the newest, best, brightest things. Uh, But of course, you also don't want to ever compromise your company. So there's a little bit of friction there. And then we know that there are tons of, and, and I don't need to actually hear the customers, but I know Infosys is currently working on big AI model projects for its customers right now to better, probably medical, financial, like you got, uh, you know, Infosys, it has customers in every arena, it seems like, from manufacturing, medical, biopharma, life sciences, everywhere, shaping, shaping the world. How do you think about moving these data loads now? Because AI models, you know, like data fuels AI. We already know, just, we are, we definitively know that. But the level of data it takes and compute power it takes is astronomical. How is Infosys approaching these projects? I guess, are you approaching it in many different ways where it's like, hey, the data's got to be migrated? How's it got to be transferred? How do you have to secure it? You know, all these things. Give us an idea of how companies are approaching this because. I'm with you. I don't think people are going to pump their data into ChatGPT. Well, I think they're going to ask you to build an AI later with their data. That's what I think is happening. Give us an idea of these AI projects and how are they going to, how are they shaping up right now in the near term? Yeah, I think this is a you know very important uh, initiative for us. I think we will constantly you know innovate and uh, bring in new talent and research and perspectives on how AI would be used in various industries and various use cases. Because like, like like I talked about when I introduced Infosys, you know, we are in the business of transforming uh, digital transformation for our customers, right? And today, AI is that channel or vehicle to help organizations uh, achieve that objective. And, and they need help. They need help. And that's really where Infosys stands. And so therefore, we will... Uh, make sure that we have people who understand the technology we will uh, we are investing deeply in terms of building models and algorithms and then we will make it available now at the same time when you talk about the challenge of data i think at the end of the day what we need to look at is in terms of how do we control it and how do we monetize it right there are already examples in the cybersecurity world where we have gone overboard in terms of our ability to hold data which, which perhaps does not have even, even a reason uh, to be hoarded. And, and later on, you see a major compromise happening in large telecommunication companies. And then we start asking questions as to why was this data even there uh, with that particular organization, right? So I think there is always going to be a, a, a balance which was required. The other element, you know, which is very interesting, Albert, that you'll, you'll observe is that as and I've been in the cybersecurity for more than two decades. And I've seen that every rapid change in the technology creates a new paradigm challenge for the cybersecurity world. So AI is definitely going to bring in a, a new challenge in terms of really how to build governance around, uh, you know, controlling the data and, uh, you know, the need and the use of it. There are ethical use and all of those aspects. I'm not even going into that. But I'm just talking about the security and, you know, how do we envelop it? But, you know, just there are examples now coming up where while there is an open AI, there are now commercial AI models available, which you give, which will give you more security yeah. control over your data at the same time, give you giving you access to those models, right? So I think 
like I said, right, you will always continue to have these uh, changes evolve. As they evolve, we will start putting more safeguards onto that. Hey there, IT Visionaries listeners. It's time to supercharge your network with Zeo, the North American leader in modern network infrastructure. Zeo connects critical data centers across the United States, Canada, and Europe with high-capacity metro fiber and extensive long-haul dark fiber. Trusted by the world's most innovative companies, Zeo embodies what's next in networking. Discover Zeo's expansive network maps on their website and see where their network can take you. With low-latency, reliable 400G and 800G-enabled routes, it's the modern network solution you've been searching for. Visit Zayo's website today to unlock the power of your network and tap into the technologies of tomorrow. Go to zayo.com slash network right now. When you were just describing just a moment ago when you anecdotally said like, hey, how does an AI know? Uh, and I'm paraphrasing right now, but how does an AI, if AI has all this information, its job is to basically interpret the information at a speed and rate at which a human could never do. Um, so that's what, that's generally what we're trying to say. Based on that, I believe there's going to be even a bigger rise in identity access AI to recognize who is actually querying this information. Because I was thinking about it as you were talking and I was imagining, let's say like the legal system, right? So let's say we're a big attorney shop and we want to use, we hire Infosys, like we're like a Greenberg chart. We got like a thousand locations around the United States or world, whatever. We hire Infosys would say, hey, we want to build an AI model to better understand cases so that we can pump our cases and ju- you know judge decisions into the AI model. And it can tell us like what cases are best look like the cases we're currently running. And I was thinking to myself, if it knows that and it can regurgitate that, then someone who has identity compromise and comes in can just query like, what are the last five cases you re- you summarized? You know what I mean? Like, And you would have to then know that who I am. And so I was thinking about that, like, how is the AI going to know who it's working with? That means identity access is going to become even more important. I, I was just thinking of that as you were talking. <laughs> You know, in today's context, you know, when we talk about microservices and we talk about deeply API-driven ecosystem, I think API security plays a very important role when we talk about application-to-application communication, right? Yeah. So as much as we talk about identities when it comes to humans, when you talk about AI talking to AI, I think the APIs will play a very significant role in terms of behavior and how algorithms are going to be worked. Ironically, we are going to use AI to solve that problem. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. There are multiple technologies available for API security, but the most efficient way of implementing API security is through applying AI, where you learn what is a good behavior of an application. And so if there is something which is anomalous, then it will identify that and it helps you to, to do the investigation. And that's how you identify a rogue app call versus a, a, a legitimate app call. Yeah. Yeah. Well, give us an idea of how much more complicated this has become because with, let's say, it, you know, sure, there are some companies that are asking employees to come back to office, but I think hybrid at minimum, especially for uh, software engineering or software-based roles is here to stay. I think that the world has opened up to that. I remember back in the day when we had our alerts monitor with New Relic and like literally it was a guy like or a couple of guys and gals on our team would be looking at these alerts and they were deciding 
is it worth investigating or not worth investigating? Is this normal or not normal? There was no AI at the time to tell me like this. And then, like you said, they would hit, get hit with this ocean of false positives to the point when, when they actually saw something off, like they might not have spotted it. AI is going to get better at that. But also we as people or the workers or whatever, we're going to send more signals to the AI more than ever. So it's got to then you got to educate its model to keep recognizing that that's just a that's a remote worker or that's one of our team members who just happens to, you know, have been in India, but then went to Bali. And now he's in sitting next to me in North Carolina, but he's still one of us. He's still got access to the data. He needs it. Give us an idea of how what is your team's approach to thinking? How do we train for this? Because the AI has to be smart enough to recognize, like you said, that, that identity side. It's got to be so smart that it knows that you've, you're mobile or moving around. And it's got to provide a great seamless experience so that the work can get done. And it cannot, it's got to be, I guess it's got to be so, the, the number of false positives has to be super small, yet it still needs to catch with high certainty, the bad actors. When it does happen, it's got to with high certainty catch those. How do you think about approaching? What does it take now to build these models so that it can recognize this? Yeah. So Albert, one of the best kept secrets uh, of cybersecurity is that we have never been able to talk about how the the cybersecurity world have embraced ML uh, and to, to to a large extent now AI in what we do, right? We wouldn't have got where we are today without these embracing these technologies. I mean, you think of it is then more than 90, 93, 94% of the world email traffic is spam can only be, you can imagine how difficult the world would have been if it had not been for ML and algorithms to stop that bad traffic from reaching your mailbox, right? And it's got better every single day. And now, of course, we use AI to stop it. So I think uh, cyber industry has been in the forefront of really adopting these technologies throughout its life cycle. And of course, you know, it is still in a stage where we have not really got it to a stage of you know, getting it 100% accurate. So we still build, work on models where you talk about probability of a particular incident being highly positive versus true positive. And, and so basically, you know, we gave some rating scale for that. And that's really how it is evolving. I think as we start looking at the future of cyber, it is already deeply, like every cyber software that you look at right now is deeply dependent on intelligence and content. What I mean is that without signals and without situational awareness, this software cannot perform what it's supposed to do. Unlike most of the other softwares, which can run on their own based on human intervention and human input. Security software is purely dependent on situational awareness and it's hungry for that, for it to be effective, right? So as much as we are going to get user signals of identity, you're going to get, you know, machine signals and server signals and network signals and cloud logs and traffic signals. We are also going to get threat signals and incident signals. We call it as indicators of compromise, indicators of attack, indicators of behavior. And we have now, you know, fortunately in cyber world, we have now standardized all of that, right? So all of think of it is that all of that is also coming into the cybersecurity systems for it to then do that deep learning to really take out the most 
important events so that you can work on those. Not just that, we are also now looking at automating them. For example, having a kill switch, which is automated, which will just quarantine that machine, which has got a virus attack and take it away from your network. Yeah. So that's the world that we're going in. It's already there as we speak. Yeah, it's pretty crazy to think about what you just mentioned because we talked with some of the team members from VMware and some other virtual companies. They're talking about like, is there a future? I believe the team at AMD was thinking about this. It's like, is there a future where every email you check is actually just checked on a virtual machine that's mirrored to your laptop? So like, it's actually not possible to compromise your your machine through email. Like that sounds like overkill. But it's like, it's coming. And like the network speed and the speed at which the tools can recognize this is getting to the point where it's almost frictionless. So there's this new rise of uh, category software, uh, AI ops is what they're calling it, where there's, you know, what Michelle's talking about is tools that are just, just literally looking at your own traffic. Like they're looking at your own stuff. They're looking at your own network data and how it's moving endpoint security between services, between users. Has AI ops already gotten to the point where it really doesn't affect the actual application? Like, because in the old days, if you thought about it, you added any layer to, to something and you move data from, you know, endpoint A to B, then to C, you'd be like, B is slowing everything down. It's bottlenecking data flow. It's causing experience issues. Is AI ops, is it there yet? Or like, do you still see like it can get even faster and more accurate? I think that these are still early days in terms yeah. of, you know, what what is going to come. But I do believe that uh, any technology which is going to use AI will actually make the security tool more efficient, unlike, you know, the traditional legacy model, which was more signature-based. So signature model does not scale and does not work. And that's the old way of managing security. The new way of managing security is using AI so that you are able to, you know, make it more efficient and much more razor sharp and focused on identifying, uh, you know, the, the malicious activities. Yeah, that's pretty insane. I feel like zero trust dual signature was just people were talking about that was going to be the standard. I feel like just four years ago, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's going to be zero trust. Everything's going to be cryptographed. Like every data endpoint, like you won't even be able to like say hello via chat uh, without like some type of endpoint security with a signature decryption on the other side. And I was like, wow, that sounds slow. Cause to me, it sounded slow. Cause I'm still thinking about like, and I know this is still the case. And then this is a fun question for you. My wife works at a big company. It's okay. If anyone looks it up on LinkedIn, she works at Cisco. And she also worked at another big company called KPMG not, not too long ago. And I saw her you have to use some of her uh, applications, especially specifically at KPMG. It was slow, like really slow just to access an Excel file. Like it had to go through all the security checks and stuff like that. What percentage of companies are you meeting now that have already invested in AI apps to make their applications go faster and more secure? What, what percentage of big companies have adopted this? Or are there still many, many more to come? Like only a few have, uh, have selected this route. I think, I think everybody is talking about looking at AI in a very big way. Okay. But AI, you know, there are, it's not going to solve the world hunger, right? Of course, it's sure. going to be, it's a new tech in the block and it's going to uh, help you become more effective, especially when you're talking about being effective and relevant to your customers. But, uh, you know, a lot of organizations are grappling with the problem of legacy, right? Which, which yeah. is basically their internal corporate enterprise tech <laughs> and architecture. I think to modernize that, 
you need you know lot more than just ai right <laughs> uh, and and you know so i would i would i do believe that today's race is all about you know first how do i make an impact to my customer and how do i become relevant by making and adopting ai there is obviously going to be a big push also into enterprise but that that will become the next phase it may be parallel but it will not be going as fast as it is going when it comes to making it in front of your customers yeah uh, i wish everyone if if you haven't gotten a chance to see the clip maybe we use that clip but Michelle had a big smile on his face when he's talking about it but uh you know i get it legacy systems there's a big migration that has still yet to happen. I, I, you know, I, I always think to myself when I talk to people, when you talk to like, let's say just a casual person, um, you know, like I meet them out or at a meeting or whatever the case may be, they're in their mindset of the amount of companies that have already digitally transformed to like cloud-based solutions. I was like, dude, I don't think you understand how few companies have made this move yet. But you know what I mean? It's, it's, and so you're, Michelle, you're smiling. It's crazy. Like there's a lot of companies that have not made this move yet. Um, you know, we kind of, we kind of busted on one, on one of our other shows, Mission Daily. This is coming from me. It's not coming from Michelle, but uh, for those who don't know, last Christmas when Southwest Airlines went down, it got revealed that their routing and booking center was actually all phone-based. And that's the pilots could not call in and the crews could not call in because the phone lines were jammed. Uh, to get their new routes. And that caused traffic delays. Uh, as you can imagine, air, you know, airplanes don't fly really great without a crew and a pilot. And so it's like, how can a massive company like Southwest not invest in technology to make ra- the routing system AI-based or something? And they haven't. It's all call-based. I'm like imagining a pi- patch switchboard. Uh, but anyways, that's my story. It's not Michelle's. Uh, <laughs> for yourself, how did you get into this space? Because, you know, I'm I'm now curious. I want our audience to get an idea. Like, you know, who are you? How did you get into this? And because you currently oversee, like you said, a lot of projects. So how did you get into this? I started my career around 30 years back, and uh, you know, I got into IT. And just after Y2K, by just sheer stroke of luck and coincidence, I was asked to get into the security space. Uh, in year 2000, and it's been now 23 years. Uh, you know, I've been I'm in in this space. You know, I, I started very reluctantly and uh, was suspicious whether this is really going to be my career. I, uh, you know, <laughs> but I I just took it. And uh, you know, around six to seven years in the uh, doing this, I realized that this is one space which is a of immense interest because every time the space is changing dramatically. It's also extremely relevant uh, and creates significant value to your stakeholders if you get it right and do it right. And, you know, it tests all your capabilities in terms of communication, leadership, technical vision, you know, executive presence, all of that. So, you know, you couldn't have asked for more. So I'm, I'm extremely happy that, you know, I was lucky to get into it. And that's really how I got it. But if you ask me who am I today? I would say I'm an extremely passionate cybersecurity enthusiastic person who is focused on really trying to create value for all our stakeholders and always trying to learn something new so that I can actually pass it on and, you know, amplify that. Yeah. For our younger audience, so like we said, IT Visionaries, it's split into two groups. 
Uh, but one of the groups is young, let's say professionals trying to get into the industry. I got to tell everybody when, when Vishal's talking about Y2K, well, what we're talking about is for a period of time in the 90s, nobody programmed uh, dates with four digits. And so the Y2K scare, which is comical now to look back because it was it, but it was a big deal. It was like in the news every day. I felt like from like 97 on, yeah, computer software literally did not account for the fact that this, the millennium could change. And so people thought it was going to cause all kinds of problems. Like there was like horror stories, right? The news was like, oh, planes are going to crash. Like, like I, I, I can tell you one story. You know, so we, I used to work in a bank and we actually tested sat phones just to make sure that we could communicate to our corporate office. So we had a big suitcase on a, of a sat phone, yeah, uh, yeah. which we tested uh, from the terrace of our building just to make sure we, we are able to talk to them. Yeah, yeah. People were freaking out because no one could visualize like what was going on. And I remember uh, I actually, one of my first temp jobs was, uh, this is pretty funny too. I'll add it to your story. It was for an insurance company and they had just gotten their software to migrate over to um, four digit. And we had to double check. That's what they wanted. Like they ran a conversion script and we had to double check the dates and that was done manually. So that's how far, that's how far compute has come. That's how far it's come. For yourself now, you're overseeing so many projects. You mentioned you have a thirst for learning. Give us an idea because you must see or attempt or work with teams to evaluate new and emerging technologies. What are some of the things you're most excited about that you've maybe put your fingers on the keys for just a little bit, but you're like, hey, if this happens, this will transform some things. See, I think one one thing which uh, I'm extremely passionate about, and I think it's it's something which is going to happen is there's going to be a lot of consolidation uh, that's going to happen in the cybersecurity space because, you know, I don't know how deeply and closely you're tracking this, Albert, but, you know, you see that, you know, we we've kind of have a very complex mesh of various solutions and technologies in cybersecurity and uh, and it's not changing. You know, we are adding every, every year, we are adding another 100, 200 different solutions. And so it's getting very, very complicated. So I think... Um, you know, companies like Infosys uh, are creating, we are creating our own stack, which is obviously a combination of commercial and our own open source technologies and, and saying that, you know what, you we will deliver this as a service to, to customers so that, you know, you don't have the burden of deciding on, you know, what what is the stack that you need to choose, right? So my, my view is that the global uh, system integrators have a very important an accountable role to play in providing that clarity so that, you know, customers find it much easier to, to, you know, operate in this complex world, complex digital world. Right. Yeah. So that, I think that's something which is, uh, which we are working on and I'm extremely passionate about, and that's a change, which uh, I think is demanding for us to really step up and do something about it. Right. The second aspect, uh, which I think I'm sure is closer to your heart is about how, the network and the security worlds are really collapsing, you know, and, and merging into each other because the traditional networking models are simply going to go away. Yeah. And it's, uh, and the, the fact that people have been so successfully able to rely on internet to perform business that they no longer require those traditional legacy peer to peer connectivity and models anymore. Right. And so, you know, security is going to be a very important 
fabric which is going to enable the use of internet and relying on internet for future communication, right? So we are seeing the rise of the SD-WAN and, and, and we are also seeing the rise of the SASE. So, but if you look at the, the whole model of zero trust is also hinged around that, right? So SD-WAN, SASE and zero trust putting all together, I think I am extremely bullish about that change. Uh, which will dismantle the traditional models of network. Uh, it will cannibalize all those jobs, but new solutions will emerge, which will be more optimal and more secure than the traditional model that we have for connectivity. Wow, that's pretty interesting, right? Like the Because you work with certain clients. I know your clients. Some of them are going to be a, maybe a traditional MPLS with uh, some SD-WAN as a way to network up and connect all their coworkers to whatever applications they have. Is there really a world where you're just going to drop the biggest line possible at your building just so you can have the best Wi-Fi possible where from there you're already secured, right? Because the software is going to do the work. It's no longer going to be for those who are listening. It's like, dude, it was, it was really thought of back in, it wasn't that long ago when people were like, like if I was a retail op, let's say, um, let's imagine I'm a big retail chain. And I have a thousand stores. There was a thought process that they all had to be interconnected via a physical line. Like they would, you know what I mean? Like there would be a physical line, an interconnection of a thousand stores that only we used. So it's like a, if, you know, we're ABC store company, we would only have only our traffic would traverse these lines. You could only access it inside our buildings. And my man, Vishal is saying that that's going to go away. Like you're just going to need one line to a building. It can connect to anywhere. Because that's the other thing that's also happening on the infrastructure side that's enabling this is capacity just keeps going up. Like, right? It wasn't that long ago when having fiber at a personal house was inconceivable. Now it's like everywhere. You know what I mean? And it's like almost the de facto choice by people who all they do is watch Netflix. They have more capacity at their house than companies used to. Just five years ago, a company would have for like 500 employees. It's crazy. Michelle. I want to say thank you for joining us today on IT Visionaries. Thanks for painting that picture of what the future could potentially be and some of the uh, technologies you're most excited about. It was awesome having you on talking about AI ops and how that is going to be the new way security is done. Arguably, it's already here, but it's just going to keep getting better. Uh, This dual signature system, a cryptographic signature system that was once touted might go away, Uh, not because it's not a good system, but because it just doesn't sound like it's fast enough and accurate enough given given what we see now. Uh, it was a lot of fun talking with you. And, and like I said, you got you oversee a lot of projects, so you know better than anyone. And I look forward to when Infosys projects hit, whether they're open source or private, uh, you know, private subscription, it doesn't matter. Like you guys, I always think great technology is built on top of great business cases and arguably you guys have the most. Thanks for joining us today on IT Visionaries. Hey, thank you so much, Albert, for having me. It was great having this conversation.